0: Merry Christmas to all of you on behalf of the people and the clergy of St. Luke's. If you are visiting, we welcome you and remind you that wherever you find yourself on your spiritual pilgrimage, you are welcome here. We're glad you're here. And to those of you who are regulars, we're glad you're here too for your support and for your care. And Merry Christmas. The Episcopal Church is a liturgical church, which means that it has set forms of worship. And I can tell you that as a pastor, I'm grateful to be part of a liturgical church because I don't have to dream it up every time I come in here and start all of this. But the reason why it's important is that we have a church year where we believe in something called the sanctification of time. We believe that each cycle in the church year is a way of reconnecting to the promises of God and reconnecting ourselves to the things that we know are part of our own spiritual rhythm, or we may yearn for them to be part of our own spiritual rhythm, and having a liturgical year enables us to do just that. If there's an Anglican heresy... It probably would be an overemphasis in the doctrine of the incarnation, which is what we celebrate today on Christmas. Christmas is the great theological feast. It isn't a feast that uh, is putting its uh, feet firmly down in historical reality. You know, some of you now, because we have Wikipedia and Google and everything else, some people have been amazed to find out that Maybe Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Well, we've known that for a long time. There's a reason why we have the liturgical feasts when we have them. But the important thing is that we're here to affirm something about uh, the importance of God becoming a human being. And so on Christmas, I always preach about what I call the four affirmations. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to talk about what we affirm on this Holy Feast and why it's so important. And here they are. The goodness of our humanity. Christmas is the festival when we affirm the goodness of our humanity. Christmas is the festival when we affirm the second affirmation, which is that each one of us can achieve the highest and best of our human potential because we have seen it in the person of Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the template that we lay over our own spiritual development and maturity. We also affirm the possibility that Christian people can be joyful and that joy is a vigorous term in the midst of all of the challenges and the opportunities that you and I face on a daily basis. And finally, the fourth affirmation is that you and I are to be people of peace. So peace on earth isn't some pious sentiment only, but it's a very vigorous concept. When we say that we affirm the goodness of our humanity, we mean that when we celebrate Christmas, we keep in our minds a quotation that several important Christians over the centuries have said God became man that we might become God. God made the creation and called it good. And each one of us is unconditionally loved, accepted and forgiven by God. And on Christmas we affirm that great and powerful truth, the goodness of our humanity. When we say that we can achieve the highest and best of our human potential, it becomes the default position of people who believe in the basic goodness of human beings that even if we believe that is unbelievable or untrue, that we labor always to understand that every human being is precious before God. And that this means that we understand each one of us having been made for a purpose. As I said, we are unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven by God. And because of that, we can achieve the highest and best of our human potential. What might that mean? Father Thomas Keating, you've heard, or some of you at least, have heard me speak about him a great deal. Father Thomas Keating says that Christmas reminds us that the humdrum duties and events of daily life become sacramental, shot through with eternal implications. Because Jesus assumed the human condition in its entirety, including the instinctual needs of human nature and the cultural conditioning of his time, he also introduced into the entire human family The principle of transcendence, giving the evolutionary process a decisive thrust toward God consciousness. And this means that Jesus has joined the human family and has not just subjected himself to the consequences of the flesh, but also introduced the principle. Of the redemption of the flesh from all the pre rational programs for happiness that center around our lives. When you stop to think about it, there are three areas that we all struggle with security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And these are the things that are the substance out of which our spiritual maturity grows. And we have, in the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and development. The early followers of Jesus, who heard his words and saw his works, believed that in this man, in his words and in his works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And by virtue of that, we were not watching some tableau that seemed to be interesting but that in his teaching he gave us tools that we can use. And therefore we can be like him. What Jesus Christ is by nature, we become through adoption and grace. The word joy often has a kind of uh, giddy hilarity associated with it. I use sometimes the example of Snoopy in the old Peanuts cartoon, you know, joyful Joyful is sort of that hilarious thing. Joy in the spiritual life is the sure and steady belief that the conundrums, the uncertainties, and the ambiguities of your life can come into clearer and surer focus as you live. And that because of the confidence that develops around that possibility, it is possible for you to be joyful. And that you can say to yourself, you know, this is something that will come clear to me as I desire to live a life of intention and some species of uh, placing myself in a position to be able to get clear about the things that I need to be. So that's what joyfulness means. It's connected to hope, isn't it? And I've said to you before that hope can be understood as honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm a way to say that I'm going to meet the challenges and the opportunities in front of me because God is with me, God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen me. And because of that, it makes me joyful. Finally, when we say that we're people of peace, we don't mean some pious sentiment about that as well. When we say peace on earth as Christian people we understand that in some way we are obliged to be people of peace in two ways. In our relational life, in our corporate self-understanding, laboring to make a world where it is easier for people to be good, and the acknowledgement also that as we become people of peace and we become spiritually mature, and God's spirit works on our emotional, spiritual, and mental states, that we are able to bring peace to ourselves internally, to baby still those internal demons that are part of uh, everyday living and push them to the side and give us the opportunity to uh, experience some species of serenity as we live. When Jesus used the word peace, he used the Hebrew word shalom, and shalom is a very vigorous concept. The shalom of God does not merely mean the absence of war and conflict. If you look shalom up in a Hebrew dictionary, it would, it would define the word as completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. Gee, you mean that one word means all those things? Yeah. At least that's how it's been used by the people uh, whose, word it belong, whose word it is. And so in the Hebrew Bible, when you hear something about the shalom of God, think about what a profound concept it is in terms of its implications for the world that God made and called good. You know, a lot of times I use, instead of the word world, cosmos, because that's the word that's used in the, in the Greek New Testament for world. But cosmos uh, is a more vigorous term, too. It doesn't mean just world. It means order. It means bringing things to order out of chaos. And also a definition of cosmos and world is ornament. I like to think in Christmas time, ornament is something we think about, ornaments. And maybe if you and I are made in God's image and likeness and we're called good, that each one of us is part of God's ornament and that we sort of, show forth the beauty of God in that sense. We become transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love as we live. So give thanks for the birth of the Savior. See if you can uh, remember that God made you and called you good. That you can achieve the highest of your human potential. That as you become clearer about the things that used to baffle you, you can really make a difference in the world. And you can, in fact, be an instrument of the shalom of God. Amen.